The Tablet Show, Episode 67, with guest Wally McClure. Recorded live Thursday, January 3rd, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts, Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Wally McClure about building mobile applications using MonoTouch and Mono for Android. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to The Tablet Show. Happy New Year, everybody. It's Richard and Carl. Hey, man, what's up? I am still at home, and it's pretty awesome. We were away for a long time. A long time. Uh, on top of the road trip, I took a two-week vacation over the holidays, so I'm well-rested and ready to roll. And I have a still. <laughs> yeah, what's up with that? <laughs> Rich is making moonshine. Somebody gave me a still for Christmas. I, I bet you're getting all sorts of obsessive about it, too. Oh, no, I wouldn't do that. No, no, no. Are you like looking to buy port cherry casks and why would I do that? How could I do that? I don't know. Yeah. That's crazy. Certain things you have to be careful of. For example, when you first start running a still, it produces methanol. Don't drink that. That's bad. That's bad. (laughs) Explode on you. Not good. Yeah. Be careful. Don't yeah, do not distill inside. Oh, by the way, don't distill at all. It's illegal. Yeah, don't do that. It's legal to own a still. But if you use it to distill alcohol, you are breaking the law. And in Canada as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and now, you know, as I've, as I've studied up on the whole thing, I'm realizing why. It's dangerous. It's freaking dangerous. Stuff explodes. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, maybe you could turn it into a nice piece of furniture in your living room or something. It's very shiny. Yeah. Well, let's uh, start with Better Now Framework, shall we? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? Well, I went looking for some good news in 2013. You know, as you know, people have been a little bit down on Microsoft about uh, Windows 8 in the in the business world. You know, they don't think that the, the Surface uh, Pro is going to be that attractive. I just hear a lot of bad press. Sure. Well, there's some good press. If you go to tinyurl.com slash win8makessense... You will see an article in PC World by Tony Bradley out today as of this recording. Ten reasons why Windows 8 makes sense for business. Nice. Number one, touchscreen interface. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, we're all getting used to it. And if you have a laptop that doesn't have a touchscreen interface, people are going to be putting their grubby paws all over it anyway. It might as well respond to your touch. Right. Uh, networking is number two particularly in the business world. Uh, Windows 8 makes networking a snap, and particularly with Wi-Fi and things like that. Three, flexible hardware options, convertibles and all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Faster boot time. That's very, very cool. Windows 8 averages 17 seconds compared to 38 seconds for Windows 7. Dual monitor support. Better security. Of course, that's the big winner. I think, in Windows 8, better security. Any security all is something better than uh, what we have now with iPads and stuff. Uh, seven, storage spaces. Love storage spaces. Eight, SkyDrive integration. Nine, a new task manager, which if you haven't seen is amazing. 
And number 10, Windows to Go. Windows to Go. This is an amazing thing where you can put Windows on a thumb drive and boot it from a USB 3 key. Something we tinkered with the whole road trip. We did. We just never really got it to... We never sat down and did it. Well, we were on a, in an RV. What do yeah, you to do? Right. But if you have Windows 8 Enterprise, you can make a little Windows to Go on a USB 3 key. And it has to be USB 3. Yeah. And uh, so fun. Very cool. And of course, you know, people come out and throw stones at this guy because, you know, he's actually saying something that's uh, positive about Windows 8. So uh, I personally love it, and I hope you are too. You know, on an upcoming uh, Run As Radio, probably in the next week or so, you're going to hear a show I did with Alan Burchill. And we're, one of the things we talked about is how you can apply group policy to Win8 RT. No kidding. So you know how you're not supposed to be able to manage the, the, those Windows tablets, the, the new surfaces and so forth? Mm -hmm. You can't do it at the domain level, but you can do it at a local level, and you can push them down from your domain controller. So wow. don't believe it. Listen to the run -ass show if you want to know. Runasradio.com. That's that other show Richard does. That other show. Yeah, it's a great show. But how many shows do you have in the archive now? Uh, coming up on episode 300. In fact, that one with Alan Burchill, 299. Wow, great. Well, who's talking to us, Richard? Uh, over the holidays, we got a great email that you and I both got a good chuckle over. Yeah. I think we should read. Uh, that was about episode 64, which is the one we did uh, with Paul Sheriff while we were on the road trip, but yep. not in front of an audience. We did it privately because of scheduling problems and so forth. But it was a great conversation about dealing with multiple clients, this sort of heterogeneous world. Yeah. This email comes from Chris Snazzle, who is from Scotland. And so the title of the email is, You Cannot Change the Laws of Physics, Gentlemen. And I'm not <laughs> going to do a Scottish accent for this. But Chris, you need to know, when I read this, I could hear it in a Scottish you accent. Could I couldn't help myself. I <laughs> uh, just wanted to say that it was very refreshing to hear a technology show from North America that discussed that the cloud's not always available. I'm going to sound like a crotchety old Scottish engineer, but there's a reason for this. I'm an aeronautical engineer. I used to design aircraft engines before sagging into software engineering via flight simulation, and I grew up in Scotland. Engineers have to deal with the world as it is rather than what we'd like it to be, and it's depressing to listen to the cloud being discussed as if it's omnipresent when basic physics dictate that it can never be. It cannot be! It cannot be. One of the fundamental properties of electromagnetic radiation is as you increase its frequency, it's more easily blocked. This can be demonstrated with a simple experiment. Next time you receive or make a call on your mobile phone, pop a cardboard box over your head. The cardboard <laughs> will block the light, but not the radio waves. Visible light has significantly higher frequencies than radio and can't make it through. Ah. How does this impact the cloud? Well, it means that cellular data is always going to be patchy and unreliable as we travel around. Here in the UK, about 30% of the country's 250,000 square kilometers have 3G connectivity. The reason for this is that the frequencies that 3G operates on, which is around 2,000 megahertz, although we can argue about that, there's some lower frequencies as well, mm -hmm. are easily blocked by architecture, terrain, and vegetation. Extending the coverage requires drastically increasing the network infrastructure, and it's not economically viable to do so. My hometown in Perthshire, for example, would need to quadruple its number of cell towers to ensure a 3G network matched existing 2G coverage. Mm. Moving to lower frequencies would improve coverage, but even with LTE coming in 2014 on 800 megahertz, we're not expecting geographic coverage to get much beyond 45% of the country as a whole. Yeah. The cloud's great when you have a wired connection to the internet, but on mobile, it's always going to be unreliable because you cannot change the laws of physics. You cannot do it! <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know, the other thing, I, I, 
hey, Chris, totally with you. Yes, the lower frequencies help. I'm really interested in white space Wi-Fi, which I think might overwhelm cell in general because it is also lower frequency and a different class of power, which is going to help as well. But even if you take away the cellular aspect of this and the, and the wireless aspect of this, the Internet's not that reliable. Right. It's just not. It's designed to be fault tolerant, but it doesn't mean it's always going to work. And the reality of what's happened with cloud demonstrates that yeah. stuff goes down. Right. So uh, I'm with you. I mean, that's why we talked about it. Is that the reality is you have to be able to tolerate being disconnected, being the only computer in the universe for some interval of time. And we'll have to get better at that. So thank you. Thank you for your great email and a fabulous tablet show mug is on its way to you and if you'd like a tablet show mug just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com and with that let us introduce our guest wallace b mcclure graduated from the georgia institute of technology in 1990 with a bachelor of science in ee he continued his education there receiving a master's degree in the same field in late 1991 since that time, McClure has done consulting and development for such companies as Coca-Cola, Lucent Technologies, U.S. government agencies, and several startups, among others. While working for Lucent, Wally became interested in mobile technology. Unfortunately, that was 1999, and everybody was busy with the Y2K problem. <laughs> I have a funny Y2K story. Welcome, Wally. Discussion. Tell me. Tell us. Tell us. Oh, Okay. So I was at uh, Lucent, and they were an Oracle shop. And uh, on about December 15, 1999, I said I was in charge of writing the scheduling system for them. And all of a sudden, they're, they couldn't schedule out in the future past uh, the end of December. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what in the world is going on? Mm. I dig through all this Oracle documentation because I knew all my code was right get into it and found out that their corporate standard for windowing that they had chosen to use in Oracle wasn't working right. And I found out why it was wrong and uh, literally had to go through and do a whole bunch of cut and paste and copying code into places and uh, sent my final updates at about 1 p.m. on uh, December 31, 1999. You want to talk about being scared. Wow. Right down to the wire. Right down to the wire because of a corporate decision. Oops. Don't all problems stem from corporate decisions, really? <laughs> yeah. Yes. We can blame those do. guys. A lot of them do. It also begs the question, like, nobody was checking? Nobody knew? Right. I was shocked. I mean, we were doing this um, through a consulting company, and I'm, like, getting I – was, I was getting a whole literally – of the owners of the consulting company, I'm like, listen, we have a major problem here. You know, Lucent has this corporate standard and it's wrong. Yeah. I showed them the documentation and, you know, of course we were soon to find out that there were other problems there as well. But I mean, you know, that was, that was what, 12, 13 years ago now, 14, 13 and a half, something like that. Well, let's talk about mobile development, Wally. Let's get to more exciting stuff, yes. Well, the, it seems like the holy grail of uh, mobile development is to be able to you know, leverage as much code as we can across all these different platforms. How far are we, January 3rd, 2013, to uh, down that path? What's the, what's the best way to go about doing this today? 
Well, so there's a couple of different ways that we've seen, you know, over the past number of years. Um, the, you know, the one that, you know, that's kind of the ultra holy grail is I write one application, I compile it for the various platforms, and boom, it's just all there, and I don't have to make any platform-specific changes. And while we're clearly, you know, somewhere in that neighborhood with HTML5 and PhoneGap and those kind of tools, we run into certain problems there. And that is that we get applications that don't necessarily look like other applications on a platform. Or work like them, or yeah. utilize their local uniqueness. Right. Just trying to be nice. Trying to be nice. Yeah. Um, you know, and so that's a problem. Now, it's not necessarily, you know, for some solutions, that's that's there really isn't a problem. I mean, if you're just going to, you know, send some data down to a client like Amazon, that's not really that big of an issue, right? But if there's content that you're going to go create and you're going to send that around, then you tend to run into issues there. And so then we back up and we say, okay, what, you know, what's the problem that we've got to solve? And what we need to do is we need applications that take advantage of the specific features of a device. You know, we need an application that takes advantage of the iPhone camera and looks like every other application that takes advantage of the iPhone camera or the Android mm. camera or the, you know, blah, 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 whatever. And, you know, when we look at things from that perspective, then, you know, today we can build applications that will share a certain amount of code between platforms using, you know, .NET, C-Sharp, Monotouch, Mono for Android, and, you know, all the, the supported devices. And we can build applications that, you know, look, smell, and taste like Objective-C on iPhone and iPad, look like Java applications running on Android, and, you know, the user doesn't really know about that, that there's a difference. And so, um, you know, how do we go about down that path? Well, right now, the way that I've been doing is, you know, by doing some uh, file linking and, you know, source code sharing, which isn't really the cleanest thing in the world. Um, you know, Microsoft's got these uh, portable library, uh, right. what is it, uh, portable class libraries. And that's not, while it's, you can get it to work in the mono world right now, um, you know, kind of the general suggestion is hold off and, you know, Xamarin's going to have some better tooling for that. At least that's what, you know, that's what they said publicly up at the, uh, what was it, uh, Monkey Space a couple of right. months ago. Right. So, um, you know, that's clearly something that they've heard from the, you know, development community, um, something they're going to be working on. So right now, um, if you're, I guess if you're, if you're willing to go down one way, it works and probably, you know, in some time in the future, there'll be multiple ways to go down that, that same path. Have you, uh, looked at MVVM cross? Um, I've looked at it. Um, I believe that's written by, uh, Stuart Lodge. Yeah. And, um, I've looked at it 
but haven't dealt enough with it, like used it in a project yet. Right. One of the things that I'm working on is I write a monthly column uh, for VSM, and um, that's one of those things that's on my list, you know, that I want to cover in a future column. Mm-hmm. But, you know, unfortunately, like, you know, like what you guys run into in a lot of things, there's a lot of things on your list that you want to go cover. Oh, I know. The list is long. Yes, you get to it. So it'll get covered eventually. Well, I found on Xamarin's blog an MVVM cross seminar. Ah. Yeah. And Stuart Lodge talks about it. And uh, it's an introduction yep. to one approach for using dependency ejection, unit testing, and MVVM in cross-platform mobile C-sharp development. And the URL is tinyurl.com slash MVVM cross seminar. So that, that should be something to check out if you're interested in the idea. The idea behind MVVM cross is that you write everything from the view model back in one, you know, one thing in C-sharp. And right. then you develop only your UI in, uh, in your, uh, you know, Xcode or, or Java. Right. Exactly. Or Windows 7 or Windows 8. Or you could also write your front end in, uh, the new Xamarin.Mac. Of course, I don't know how well, uh, MVVM Cross is supported there, but. Yeah, we're going to have to talk. That's a whole nother show. Yep. Yeah. Huge show. Huge. Yeah. So you, uh, you wanted to say something about Richard Still? Yeah. So, um, Richard, have you ever walked up to somebody who's working on a still who doesn't know that you're coming? You should be prepared for that one, because I have. Don't scare the stillman? Yes, exactly. Don't scare them. Uh, Holy crap, you know, what are you doing? Exactly. So I was, you know, I'm here in Tennessee, and I've got family who live up in, you know, some of the out, outer lying areas, and we were up there one time, and I was kind of bored out of my mind, so I went for this little walk, and I saw some guys running through the woods, and as I kind of walked past, I was kind of like, hey, what are you guys doing? And the guy jumped, and he kind of looks over at me, and he says, well, we're making ice cream. I'm like, no, you're not. You're not making ice cream. Rum raisin ice cream. I know these things. (laughs) And uh, interestingly enough, I got a um, full lesson on uh, how stills work that day. Wow. You know, so um, ended up that I went back and got my family and said, hey, you know, check this out. Check out what these guys are doing. This is really cool. So Interesting. You know, they were real nice, and it was a small still, but, you know, they were just giving stuff away, just kind of doing it for fun. So you mentioned that the phone gap approach isn't your, your favorite approach, but uh, then you were also talking about having access to the the specific hardware on those platforms, and I guess PhoneGap does that. But uh, that's not the issue with PhoneGap. The issue is that it's a sort of a ubiquitous look and feel. Is that the idea? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I go back to um, when I worked at Coca-Cola, we had a discussion about, um, you know, not violating any, any NDAs 20 years later, but, you know, there was actually this discussion about Visual C++ for the Mac at one time. Mm-hmm. And this was, you know, 93, 94, something like that. And, you know, one of the things that came up about that was, well, it's going to be a Windows application running on the Mac. It's not going to be a Mac application. And, you know, at the time it was Windows 3.1 versus the Mac. Um, 
you know, the the feeling was, well, gee, the Mac users are going to scream bloody murder because it doesn't look like a Mac application. Mm. It looks like a Windows application running on the Mac. Right. And, you know, that general thought has been with me ever since. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and it goes back, when I first started getting real serious with mobile, I mean, I've been trying to do mobile stuff literally since 99 and, you know, spent time with various ASP.NET mobile controls, playing with them, learning WML, you know, lots of stuff like that. But when I took a lot of time about four years ago to look at mobile, and I looked at, you know, the web technologies, and I was like, oh, you know, I don't know about this. I kept coming back to that thought in the back of my mind of, this application has got to look like a native application. It can't look like an application that looks like some other platform. It's mm. got to look like an iPhone application because that was specifically the platform I was looking at. And I was just pulling my hair. I used to be, used to have jet black hair, but you know now it's all grayed out because I tried to learn Objective C and Xcode. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so was Java? Um, Java wasn't that uh, much of a stretch for you, or had you been doing Java already? Well, I'd done some Java years ago. Um, that was that was what first turned my hair from, you know, black to some strands of gray in there. Isn't there anything that, uh, that we can learn as C-sharp programmers from Java? Well, I mean, I think there's, I think there's a lot of things you can learn from, from any platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's just a question of kind of sitting down and, you know, spending a lot of time in it. And, you know, at the time as Java was, you know, becoming interesting, uh, you know, I was spending more and more time in the .NET C Sharp kind of world. Mm. Um, you know, so I didn't spend a lot of time in the specifics, but, you know, that the big thing that I kept coming back to when I looked at Java, and this was from a front-end application standpoint, was, gee, um, you know, these Java applications, they don't look like, Windows applications. They don't look like Mac applications. They don't look mm-hmm. like XYZ kind of applications. Yeah. And, you know, I was like, man, they, you know, if they don't look like the native platform, you know, users tend not to like them. Um, you know, and that's, that's what I found. Yeah. So, you know, that was when I, when I started looking at HTML applications, this was back, you know, 2009. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, this stuff, you know, I don't want to go the Objective C route because I've invested all this time in C Sharp and .NET and Web. And I was like, well, you know, the phone gap stuff makes a lot of sense. But then, thankfully, like you know, like a beacon out of the blue, I read this um, press release from Novell saying, "Hey, we're going to have MonoTouch, and right. here's the, you know, here's how it's going to work." And one of the things that that you know really hit me was that I can have a native UI and I can code all this stuff in C Sharp and .NET. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what I want. I want that native UI experience, but I want to code the stuff up in C Sharp and .NET. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a, that is a major win for me as a developer. This portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? 
I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the Tablet Show. So, Wally, how important is it to stick with the language? I mean, you are working in a different tool set or a different environment, right? Like, is the language really that key? Well, for me, it was. Um, I've spent just tremendous amounts of time in .NET and C Sharp, and I wanted to be able to take as much of that information, as much of that existing knowledge as I could across. And so... Um, you know, I've written some app, you know, I've written some applications for customers using this and I'm able to take all my web services knowledge. I'm able to take things like link, which is a big deal. And yeah. I'm not talking about, you know, just link to objects. I've got link to XML. I've got JSON support built in. When you're talking to, uh, you know, web services, I mean, those, those are really big things. I mean, JSON is, you know, it's pretty much kind of the lingua franca of web services in that REST format. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's really a big deal there. And I mean, you know, these things sound like little issues, but they're they're not. I mean, to me, I mean, throwing out all my existing knowledge and going somewhere else, I mean that that really scared me. Well, we've we get used to that framework doing so much for us, even if it's memory management, right? Right. Even that something as basic as that, let alone, you know, lambdas and link and all the great stuff we get with C Sharp. Oh, yeah. I mean, just think about, you know, creating an event, okay? Right. So, you know, you've got, you know, uh, a dot .click event plus equals, and then, you know, you have a delegate, you can have your method, you can have whatever that you want, okay? That's something that's very basic in .NET. Um, you know, events are different in iOS. How so? Tell us what that experience is like. Okay, so you've got a um, delegate, which is, it's it's fundamentally, it's the same concept, but the way all this stuff is set up in, in iOS, you'll have a, like a, a table, which will have some kind of delegate property on it. You set the property to an object, and then that object, you'll override various methods that are on top of it. Okay, that's the way you do stuff in iOS. Um, it's this, you know, it's the same kind of concept as .NET, but right. the language, you know, the implementation of it is different. Got it. So, you know, it, you're doing the same, you know, you're fundamentally you're doing the same stuff, but how you do it, it's just so much different. It's sort of a predefined callback that you then have to customize and switch out of. Exactly. I mean, you know, we can we can say that okay. Um, you know, English and German are the same language. 
or, or they're doing the same things. You can communicate the same stuff in them, mm. right? But if I've only spoken English all my life, which is all I've ever done, now saying I've got to go over and learn German, well, gee, I'm, you know, nothing's, there's nothing wrong with German, but for me, it's a huge challenge. And your C sharp works perfectly fine with these tools. That's what you're exactly. saying. Exactly. So yeah. I can bring up, a, I can create an iPhone solution or an iPad solution or a universal solution in um, mono develop, which is what I've got to use because, well, if we back up and say what's required for iPhone development mm. uh, with mono touch, um, you actually have to have a Mac and you have to be running Mac OS because the Apple SDK for iOS only runs on the Mac. Okay. So there's no windows iOS SDK. So, um, visual studio doesn't run on the Mac, at least the last time I checked, you know, maybe there's something hidden somewhere in the, the bowels of some building in Redmond, but, um, you know, for what I've seen and what's shipping, there's nothing there. So I've got to have something that I can build with easily on um, the Mac. And Xamarin's got a tool called MonoDevelop. That's version three. Um, actually, if you go back in the in the .NET world, there used to be a there there is a tool called Sharp Develop. Right. And MonoDevelop is actually was actually an early port of that. Yeah. Uh, wow. I think Sharp Develop was on Windows. And they needed a tool for .NET or for Mono on Linux, and that's where Mono Develop came from. Right. What about tooling? You know, as soon as you take away my common programming environment, we got to start talking about stuff like uh, you know IOC containers and test tools and things like that. What is it like to develop uh, in the Mono space? And and you need all those tools to do a good job. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's definitely less stuff over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I've noticed, and this has been really over the last six months, is um, a lot of third-party vendors have started to support uh, MonoTouch and Mono for Android. Uh, for example, um, what's one I'm thinking of that just did a whole bunch of announcements, uh, Telerik. They've announced a bunch of iOS tools. Um, or controls, user controls, those mm-hmm. kind of things. And um, mono, they've also, when they've announced them, they said they're going to have full MonoTouch uh, support. Nice. Okay. So, and that's happening from a number of vendors. Also, there's a lot of um, free open source kind of tools out there for iOS. And uh, people from Xamarin and people outside of Xamarin have already created bindings for all those tools. Okay. So, you know, can you talk to me about what your toolkit looks like for building iOS apps? What operating system, what development tools, what libraries, like what does that look like? So I've got literally sitting right in front of me right now, I've got my MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. I've got MonoDevelop. I've got the Apple SDK for iOS. In fact, actually, kind of an interesting side note here, Apple now has all their anything that they distribute has to be distributed in one file, so you can have easily have multiple SDKs. So I've got like three SDKs mm-hmm. sitting here installed on my system, and I can tell Mono Develop, okay, use the latest 
iOS SDK. Use this back version of iOS, of the iOS SDK. Use this kind of really old version of the iOS SDK. So that in case, you know, for some reason, I've got to go support really old versions of the iPhone. The most recent iOS SDK only supports iPhone 3 and later. Right. Um, but say I've got, for some reason, I've got to go back and I've got to support um, iOS, you know, uh, the 3G. Well, I can go do that by just switching the SDK that I guess support. I mean, I mean, this brings up an interesting question, which is dealing with uh, the, the whole versioning issue. Although it sounds like Apple's done a pretty good job that you generally can stick with one SDK across all the phones. Um, so right now, that's kind of interesting. Up until this last version, and it may just be something with me, um, mm-hmm. but up until this last version, I've been able to just go in and have this drop down that I that I could select and mono develop. And it looked like to me, all the SDKs were supported. Right. Um, but now I kind of got, now I've got to go back to this different setting and make changes. But, you know, overall they do seem to support the back versions within a, a specific time frame pretty well. So, I mean, their latest SDK, I mean, they've dropped support for the original iPhone and yeah. the iPhone 3G and the iPad one. But, you know, pretty much if they're still selling it, they're supporting it. But yeah. once it drops off, I mean, they're pretty, Apple's pretty quick to drop support for, um, you know, this older, this older hardware I found. Yeah, because the iPad's just not that old. Right. I mean, my, my iPad 1 is no longer supported. Right. But yeah. my iPad 2 and my iPad 3 are currently fully supported. Now, I want to go after Android fragmentation because this is sort of a famous issue in general, but it, how right. it, does Mono for Android deal with so many versions of Android? Okay, so, you know, here there... So first off, you've got this Android SDK, and it's got... I literally just updated my SDK this morning, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, 15, 17 uh, API versions. Now, wow. one of the things uh, that the okay, so the mono guys will support. I think it's API level four and higher. Um, you know, the first couple of versions weren't really well supported, um, so I think that's uh, Android one point six and later they'll right. support, which isn't hmm. a big deal because I think uh, one point five and earlier, you know, probably have like a tenth of a percent of market share at this point. I don't think that's really a big deal. So, uh, you know, if you look at what is uh, out there in the marketplace, um, the most popular version of Android is Android 2.3. And mm-hmm. I think that's still at this point over 50% of the marketplace. Um, so, you know, there's what, what the Xamarin guys can do. They can support starting at a given in Android, they're called API levels. So you've got, um, you know, API 4 is their minimum version. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're currently at API level 17 or something like that. Um, nobody's writing anything to it at this moment um, simply because it's probably like one-tenth of a percent mm-hmm. in the marketplace. But um, the Xamarin guys have the support for the various API levels, and they've got that built in. They've got, you know, a tool that basically goes and creates those bindings. And they've actually put that, they've actually included the tool 
inside their SDK, or not their SDK, but inside um, the Mono for Android product, so you can go and use it. And you can bind your own libraries, so you could call okay. out the Java stuff that they haven't found. Um, so the Xamarin guys have the support for the various API levels, and that gets you entry into Android, but it doesn't really solve the fragmentation issues. Right. Because, you know, you know, do you build for a various API level? Right. Um, you know, what API level do you say I'm not going to support previously? Um, you know, the Xamarin guys don't really have anything beyond what the, what the Android, uh, SDK supports. Now, the Android SDK has something, um, it's, uh, called their support libraries. And what it does, so for example, um, Android has a, a tool, or I'm sorry, an API called Fragments. And I think Fragments is an absolutely horrible name. It just <laughs> plays on that fragmentation uh, yes. problem. Um, but anyway, so the Fragments API, it allows you to uh, take advantage of higher screen devices, tablets. Okay? You can reuse... Um, UIs, those kind of things. Um, the Xamarin guys have support for that. Okay, so you could build with uh, the Android support library, um, support library version four. Um, you can build one app that looks like it has all the fragment support in um, in your application. It looks like a native application running on my HTC Evo 4G, just like it looks like a native application running on my uh, Android Zoom tablet. Mm. It takes advantage okay. of the fragments. So it's got that kind of support. But now we're talking about being able to do one build, one push to the store, and it runs on 2.3, 3, and 4 devices? Exactly. Okay. I mean, that's a big deal to me. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Although, you know what the real big deal is? The real big deal is I do not want to get emails and calls and you know bad reviews saying doesn't run on my phone right exactly i want it to either not install or just work right so i've got an article out that is literally coming out this month mm -hmm. um on how to do the android support libraries with mono for android so uh hopefully go follow me at, at wbm on twitter and you'll see that when it comes out because i'm big on promoting stuff as probably everybody in the world can tell yeah, but, yeah. Um, now, the the other problem that you run into as far as fragmentation is things like um, somebody ships a broken Linux kernel inside their phone. You can't really do anything about that. No, thing, no. Right? You know? Um, you know, for example, when Mono for Android was in early beta, Samsung had broken kernels out there in their phones. And you couldn't tell it unless you were trying to do just-in-time compilation. And the Mono for Android guys were trying to do just-in-time compilation, and it didn't work on Samsung phones using this specific version of the kernel. Hmm. So the Xamarin guys, I mean, they couldn't do anything about that. Yeah, that's kind of, it means part of the problem. People do custom builds of Android all the time, right? You can do it yourself, exactly. but you got to sort of take your lumps if you're breaking things. Exactly. You know, other things that I've found... Things like if I want to go to the camera, okay? So if I go, I've written some code literally 
that used the HTC Evo camera worked great. Uh, did the same exact same stuff on my Zoom worked great. Tried it on literally the third device didn't work. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And at that point, then I'm sitting there and I'm going through basically in, you know, Android documentation trying to figure things out. And that's actually in a, in, it actually shows one of the advantages that the Xamarin guys have because of what they've chosen. They've chosen to, to not go out and try and repeat functionality. So the, they're not going out and trying to repeat the camera APIs. Right. They're not trying to repeat, you know, UI elements. So what ends up happening is a lot of times the errors that you get in your, you know, when you try and compile or when you try and run are literally errors that are bubbling up from, uh, underneath you. Right. So you can literally go and say, okay, you know, tell me about this exception here, you know, Google search engine and it will. And you just get, you just go to where somebody's complaining about, uh, you know, Android in general, you know, typically the stuff I search on, you know, I get 10 responses back from Stack Overflow about somebody having an issue in Android. Mm. You know, so, um, you know, that's that's an advantage of being able to go out. You, you know, you find these, you're getting the exact same errors that people in the Java world are getting. Can I uh, shift gears a bit and talk a little bit about UI development? And I know that, um, you know, that this is really where you have to, if you're taking this approach, of using the Xamarin tools, you have to do native UI. Is right. there any common ground there for maybe custom controls or something that can uh, that we can write in C sharp and cross compile? Um, there's not there's not anything that I've seen that I've worked with. You know what I mean? Just basic controls, right? Like a text box, sure, or you know, some kind of drop down list box. Yeah, or making something, making some sort of custom UI control that could be the same look and feel without, you know, without disrupting the whole app. Right. So that's um, that's not something that I've seen. I've created some custom controls. I've got an article um, on actually how to do that in Android. I haven't seen a good way to do that in you know at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that. There are toolkits that will run on top of MonoTouch and Mono for Android that allow you to build one user interface. And if you go that route, then there may be some there may be some capability there um, where you could build that common control. Right, and you get the whole you know Java UI problem from the from the exactly. early '90s, which is unresponsive UI. Right, adding in another layer, yeah. Exactly. That's what I would expect anyway. Right. So um, I haven't seen anything. Um, there may be some opportunities that come up because, um, you know, I've seen Oracle has started talking more about Java on iPhone devices. Um, hmm. I've seen that over the last three or four months. And then also I've, I've started to see a little bit of talk about, gee, I could write Objective-C um, and run this application you know, in the Android world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's clearly there's some talk going on about it, but I don't think it's at the, it's at the point where I would try and put something into one of my applications. Right. Yeah. It's certainly compelling and uh, an idea anyway, but you know, now we might be crossing the line into 
uh, trying that dreaded right once run anywhere problem. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I believe in the idea that, of course, you're going to have to compile for every platform. I'm just trying to stay clear right. of different compilations on the same platform for different devices or versions of the operating right. system. I, I just don't know how we... Exactly. Although, I, how do you feel about separate compilations for phone and tablet? Well, um, you know, that's kind of an interesting thing. I started into this project uh, almost a year ago, and I actually thought I was going to have to I was going to have to go into that area. Right. And um, I, and this was specifically on a project with iPhone and iPad. And I actually found that by going with what's called a universal application, mm-hmm. the universal application is something that's provided for you by Apple, and the Xamarin guys have done the bindings so that they can create universal applications. Um, I didn't have to go that route. I didn't have to create separate Applications. I literally had one application, and it ran on my iPhone, and it ran on my uh, tablet. You're using different resources? Like, obviously, you have more screen space. Right. So I had different UIs for the tablet and for the uh, phone. But, um, you know, that was really the the two things that were different. I had different the different UIs, and then also I had uh, double the resources because right. I had devices that were retina displays and devices that weren't retina displays. Right, of course. But you did we were able to deploy one app and then it's configuring itself depending on what device it's on. Exactly. That's cool. What about on the Android side? Does that work too? Um yes. Um I've got that in um in my uh December column and in my January column. I, I'm sorry to keep pimping those. Um, yeah, no, it's good stuff. It's good. I've got the links in. Folks can get to them. This is a big issue that I found when I talk to people is, you know, how can I have fewer applications and, you know, fewer compilation steps um, when I, you know, for these applications? And so um, literally in my in my January column, my application is going to run Android 2.3, um, regular device, you know, a phone, it would run, um, it would have a tablet display if it was on an Android 2.3, you know, right. tablet device. There's so few of them. I don't really, I didn't even talk about that in the article. Yeah. What is that? Playbook? I'm trying to think of an Android 2.3 device. Oh, um, an Android 2.3 large screen device. Yeah. Oh, um, there were a few that actually shipped uh, back in, you know, right before Honeycomb was announced and even afterwards. Um, so, you know, some of those devices did actually make it out, but I remember Google was saying, you know, you know, don't do this, don't buy this. So I don't think they had a lot of market share interest, but right. when you, when you get into Android four and these ice cream sandwich devices, yeah, then, you know, literally I've got one application and it looks one way on a inset and it works. It looks, Another way, it looks like a tablet application on a tablet. Cool. So very much the same as the iOS model. Exactly. And I'm just taking those into account with the different UI elements. Well, Wally, I think that's about where we're going to have to leave it today. This is uh, some great stuff you got, and I've been a big fan of your uh, articles and writing for a long time. Oh, thanks. You're too kind on your uh, comments. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your all's time today. Oh, you got it. It's been our pleasure. We'll see you next time on The Tablet Show. It's not too much, but it means a lot. Just try